Hello. You might be aware that Edinburgh wants to be the data capital of Europe, but did you know that it's already the supercomputing capital of Europe? There's no final like the Champions League, but the evidence is very strong for the title coming to Scotland, as we'll find out soon. Unless you work in the field, you almost certainly won't know this. The super clever supercomputers housed on the Bush estate just outside Edinburgh are 25 million times faster than supercomputers 30 years ago. And don't get me started on the fact that these computers can now carry out 25 million billion calculations every second. I'm David Lee, and this is the latest episode in the Data Capital podcast series, brought to you by the Scotsman and the Data Driven Innovation Initiative, part of the Edinburgh and South East Scotland City Region deal. Professor Mark Parsons, director at EPCC, previously called the Edinburgh Parallel Computing Centre, is Edinburgh's supercomputing kingpin and the source of many of those large numbers I just mentioned. Even he's sometimes flabbergasted by the pace of change and we'll hear his flabber being gasted soon enough. But first I asked him, what exactly is supercomputing? Supercomputing's um, really just the use of the largest computers we can build in the world at any particular time to solve some of the biggest modeling and simulation and data analytics challenges that we have. And the interesting thing is that it's a moving target because uh, we're always trying to build bigger and bigger supercomputers. So if you think of your laptop, you've probably got a four core laptop today, your desktop might be a bit larger than that. Um, but a, a modern supercomputer, the Archer 2 system that we have in Edinburgh, is has got 750,000 cores, so three quarters of a million cores. The cores themselves are very similar to what you find in your laptop. There are just an awful lot of them. And how powerful are these supercomputers? Mark Parsons uses Archer 2, the 23 cabinet system at the heart of Edinburgh's supercomputing power, as an example. Well, there's two ways of measuring power. There's the power that the supercomputer consumes to run itself, and then there's the power that uh, uh, the computing power that it has. If you think about Archer 2, for example, it's about three and a half megawatts of electricity required to run that. And if you think of Edinburgh Airport uses two megawatts of electricity, you're almost to two Edinburgh airports full of electricity just to run the system. So we're talking very big, very powerful computers. Now we're on to the massive numbers, as Mark describes the major changes he has seen and continues to see in the supercomputing world. When I started my career at EPCC in the early 1990s, um, our fastest computer did a gigaflops, that's a billion calculations in a second. And uh, the system that uh, we now have, Archer 2, which is a, an HPE system, does what we call 25 petaflops or 25 million billion calculations a second. So the computer that I have access to uh, across my career is now 25 million times faster than when I started. And I don't think there's any other area of technology that has changed like that. Um, the other thing I would say is that the technologies we use to make a supercomputer nowadays are very, very similar to the technologies you'll find in your uh, games console or your laptop or whatever. We just build these massively parallel systems. And, and the big changes we're seeing today are that the what's happening, the computer vendors are adding more and more functionality to, to bring in 
uh, things like the ability to, to uh, solve AI problems, the ability to do data analytics, and to do modeling and simulation. So if you like, supercomputers are just becoming more useful at the moment. Mark mentioned there that Archie 2 is an HPE system. So what does Lee Rand from HPE, Hewlett Packard Enterprise, see as the big trends in the supercomputing world? So I think Mark touched on it when he described modeling and simulation, AI and data analytics coming together. And we're seeing very much a convergence of those fields. And then we're seeing a trend towards data being at the center of everything we do. So I think we're going to move towards a much more data-centric approach to supercomputing. And, and it's quite interesting because we've been talking about data for many years, but I think we're, we're actually at that tipping point now where managing data, not just the size of it, the volume of it, but also the location of the data suddenly becomes very critical. And I think if you take large scale supercomputing at the forefront of computing at scale, kind of what Mark was describing around big system, grand science challenges, but then add the fact that we're entering an area where we're in this massively hyper-connected world. And I think the latest research was saying something like 56 billion devices will be connected worldwide by 2022. And therefore, 75% of all that data is going to be connected at the edge on these devices. So, so I think how do we move that capability of supercomputing as we know it traditionally out to where the data is being created at the edge? And I think that's the really interesting thing about this project with um, the EIDF and EPTC is how we link that data computing at the edge into data supercomputing at the core. The EIDF mentioned there by Lee is the Edinburgh International Data Facility. So what's that and how does it fit into this complex and converging picture of data, AI and supercomputing? Mark Parsons says having a large data powerhouse is a crucial part of Edinburgh's efforts to be the data capital of Europe. We realised at the beginning of um, uh, writing the, the, the City Deal bid that um, if we were going to um, look after and create lots of data sets and provide them to businesses, schools, the universities, etc., etc., um, to benefit the local region, we needed to have somewhere to uh, hold that data and provide a computing resource uh, to analyse it. Now, we've already got lots of computing resource, so we focused very much on the data facility. So. Um, the, the, the rather grandly named Edinburgh International Data Facility was born, but uh, in reality, what it is, is a very large IT infrastructure, lots of data storage, lots of interesting bits of compute um, that, that provide that. And uh, last year, we ran a procurement exercise and HPE won the uh, 10-year contract to provide the IT equipment for it. Lee Rand explains why this 10-year, 100 million contract is so exciting for Hewlett-Packard Enterprises. So our mission at Hewlett-Packard Enterprise worldwide is really to advance the way people live and work. And we do that by engineering experiences that unlock people's full potential. The transformation will be edge-centric, cloud-enabled and data-driven. So the vision that Mark has with the EIDF aligns perfectly to HPE's global mission. So we're a perfect fit. Uh, and, and it's incredibly exciting to be part of not just a long-term project, but as Mark said, this is really a journey over the next 10 years to see what we can achieve. Um, and our involvement is not only to provide the underlying infrastructure and, and IT um, provision, it's also to work closely in partnership with our engineering group and our labs organization with Mark's data scientists, whether that be in traditional simulation or now in, in, in the new world of data science, 
And then how do we use those in both of our mutual customer bases? And that's really why it's interesting for Hewlett Packard Enterprise. And Lee says that both sides can learn a lot from each other during such a long and complex project. I guess from HPE's side, we bring a history of innovation at an infrastructure and software level. And EIDF and EPCC and Mark's organization brings this deep history of application and data science. And that's really where you combine the infrastructure and the history of application data science together. That is really where we're going to learn from each other. Let's take a step back for a moment and try to understand why is Edinburgh the UK supercomputing superpower? Mark Parsons explains. So it's something of a happy accident. Um, I often get asked why EPCC, my organisation, isn't in London. Um, in the very early 1990s, five parallel computing centres were set up under a government programme called the Parallel Applications Programme. We were one of them. And of the five, we're just the one that survived. Um, and we've, we've grown from really quite a small number of people. I think EPC had 15 staff when it started. Uh, we're up at uh, 110 staff today. What we try and do is feed them interesting projects to do. And they're, they're extremely widespread nowadays. We do everything from modeling of uh, aero engines for Rolls-Royce to hosting the uh, National Data Safe Haven for Public Health Scotland. And it, it's this, 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 I would say we've probably got um, half of the staff work on traditional high performance computing, supercomputing type problems, and half now work on data science problems. And that was really what drove our involvement in uh, creating or helping to, to, to create the Edinburgh City Region deal bid, um, because we just saw ourselves as, as, as being able to um, support a huge number of different types of projects in the local region. And um, it's just a, a long story of having a, a real interest in running these really large computers and doing really interesting science and, uh, and, and business problems on them. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a happy accident that all of this has ended up in Edinburgh. And where does Edinburgh stand in the supercomputing world more widely? Are there similar UK or European super centres? I asked Mark Parsons. We think, certainly at the scale we're operating, we're actually quite unique, uh, pretty unique in Europe. There have been some uh, local um, citywide data projects around uh, both the UK. So, for example, you've we have the Leeds Data Mill, for example, which has been very successful. There's a big activity in Copenhagen and Denmark. But in terms of the scale of what we've uh, proposed and what we're trying to deliver, I think that um, we're actually unique. There are a couple of other activities worldwide, sort of at the scale that we're doing. There's a, a big one in, in, in Illinois focused on Chicago um, and also activities in Japan. But um, the, the, the breadth and scale of what we're doing is, is pretty unique. What's the big hope of the EIDF and all the associated projects in Edinburgh? The slogan, of course, we had with the uh, city deal was that we wanted Edinburgh to be the data capital of Europe. And actually, I still think that's a, a, a thing that we should be aiming for because we, need, we can see ways clearly now how uh, data is going to transform our local economy. But what does that actually mean for people in Edinburgh, the Lothians, Borders and Fife? EPCC actually is already out there working very closely with local schools. We take part in all the science festivals. Um, what, what we want to do in the City Deal programme actually is train 100,000 people in the local area in data science, uh, not necessarily turning everybody into a data scientist, but giving them an idea of what's possible so that 
if you work in any business or school or whatever in the city and your boss says, how would we go about working it, working that out? You'll be able to know, oh, um, uh, that's the technique we'd use or you need to talk to that person. So it's just to give everybody a basic understanding how data is going to transform their day-to-day -day lives. And part of that is simply just getting out there, talking to people. Um, uh, you know, we, we've got a big activity at the moment, actually, with uh, some of the Midlothian schools. My data centre happens to be in Midlothian. And uh, uh, we're going out and talking to them at the moment. So I think all of this activity will grow, particularly now we're all going back to the office and we're going back to our schools and businesses. What about those interesting science and business problems mentioned earlier? What are they? And what has a supercomputer ever done for me? There are multiple uses for supercomputers, and that, that's something that's changed over time. I think, you know, if you go back to the 1970s and the 1980s, when people really, the first supercomputers really came along, people were just beginning to explore this new idea that you could model and simulate the world around us on computers. And I think over the last um, 30 years, our ability to, to model and simulate more and more complex things has just grown over time. But it's certainly not an area that um, is, is at its end point today. You know, if you think about modeling the weather, the UK uh, Met Office have just bought yet another huge supercomputer they're going to install um, over the next few years. And, and yet we know that they can still only model the weather, you know, uh, maybe seven or 10 days into the future. So there's a huge amount of um, uh, more we can do in modeling and simulation. Um, but at the same time, the other thing that supercomputers have been used much more for nowadays is uh, what we call data science. So data analytics, understanding and interrogating the, the sort of data that is gathered in the you know, internet connected world that we have today. That has been really significant during the COVID-19 pandemic. So one of the key things that we do is we operate what are called data safe havens. And those are very secure and very controlled environments to allow researchers and uh, government officials to um, analyze uh, the, the, the general public's data to help set policy and help uh, to develop new treatments in the NHS, for example. Um, and one of the key things we've done actually over the last uh, year or 18 months is create a specific COVID-19 research repository for Public Health Scotland. So um, a huge number of projects have been supported in there. I think we've had about 150 projects now um, inside that, that, that safe haven. And um, basically it allows us to take data from the general public. It's, it's uh, anonymized, but it can be linked together and it allows us to ask questions uh, that otherwise would be unanswerable. It's the complexity of the data and joining it together that's difficult. So that on the one hand, we've been doing data analytics with, but on the other, we've been doing modeling of the uh, COVID spike protein, you know, the spikes you see coming out of the uh, virus itself. So we've been modeling that on the supercomputers and that uses vast amounts of computing. So it's both the data side and the computing side working together on what I think was the, the big challenge of our age. So when there's so much data kicking around, how do we decide which data to focus on? and how to use our analysts and their time most effectively. Lee Rand again. Historically, I mean, if I go back, Mark, and you'll probably hopefully agree with me, 10 years ago, we were thinking we were going to be in this world where you really had to think about what data you were going to keep and what data you were going to throw away. And with the new world of kind of data analytics and data science, 
The reality is you can't afford to throw any of your data away because ultimately the outcome and your value in your IP may sit somewhere within that historical data. So I think we have to, we have to find a way to find value in these data sets. Now, historically, you know, we, we use techniques like data mining, but now we're seeing in HPC and, and especially in modeling and simulation that these data sets are just becoming so large. Uh, uh, an example is if we were now to do an F1 whole car simulation, we're talking over a billion cells in that single model. Or if you move into, as Mark was saying, into kind of a multi-physics weather modeling situation, you know, sometimes the cost and time to simulate these models may just be too long or, or physically too expensive. So therefore we see this world of data science and AI modeling simulation coming together in really looking at ways of how do we find maybe a more accurate starting point to these simulations within these large data sets. So therefore you can either shorten the cycle of the simulation or allow yourself to compute or a much more higher resolution within the same time frame to gain ultimately a much faster and more accurate insight within the data. So I think the, the whole world of bringing data together and getting a fast access using data science technologies and methodologies to actually get a head start on the simulations is probably going to be an interesting uh, world. So more and more data, more powerful supercomputers and the two worlds converging together. Where are we going? What do the 2030s and 40s look like? What are the big challenges? Mark Parsons has this to say. A decade ago, supercomputing drove almost all of the innovation in microprocessor design and computer design. And then that seemed to sort of tail off and, and that's been driven much more by the mobile phone industry, uh, gaming consoles, laptop technology. But we're now seeing a whole new generation of, 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 of computer processes coming along. We're moving into the exascale supercomputing age, uh, so a thousand times faster than we have today. And the new processes that are being developed in that uh, uh, context are really driving forward uh, computing to a completely new level, in fact, that we've never seen before. So I think it's a really, really exciting time in computing at the moment. And Lee Rand sees these particular challenges ahead. From my perspective, I still believe as these systems get bigger and bigger and bigger, that software is probably the biggest challenge over the next few years. So software would be one, how do we scale software efficiently and effectively? Then also, how do we solve, as Mark was talking, to, talking about earlier, um, the data problem, the data challenge, especially the data at the edge challenge. And then when you converge data and artificial intelligence, there's a statistic according to IDC that 50% of people's time is still spent purely on data preparation and deployment. So even before you start computing something, 50% of the time is still spent getting the data prepared. So I think software, data convergence, and data preparation are probably the biggest challenges moving forward. And I think we've just got this vision that absolutely everything will compute. Whatever, whatever it is, it will compute. The data will get bigger, the data will get more complex, as Mark's alluded to, and it will be more dispersed to the edge. So if you think about what we can achieve today on kind of Archer 2 uh, and, and, and the systems that Mark runs within the EPCC, you know, imagine when we're kind of 
driving around in our robo taxis or flying around in our taxi drones, you're going to need to have that computation and supercomputing capability at the edge just to prevent all these, these things crashing into each other. But in all seriousness, I believe we're still going to see this convergence, as Mark was saying, of processing technologies onto kind of a single chip system. Software will still be the challenge at scale. And then we're going to be in this world where everything we say cloud enabled, that doesn't necessarily mean everything's going to be in the cloud. It just means these types of technologies and services will be consumed like a cloud service. So then the big challenge is how do we make the software, the applications portable in a world where everything can be computed as a service, cloud enabled and potentially at the edge. Ultimately, for those like me, for whom supercomputing is a complex and distant world with lots of zeros being added to its power all the time, it comes back to what it can do for people in the city region, as Lee Rand explains clearly. One of the key objectives is to train 100,000 people in data technologies and ultimately, at the end of this, create 50,000 jobs that will benefit the region. So as far as we're concerned, it's, it's massively exciting to be part of that objective and vision. Thanks very much for listening to the latest in the series Data Capital, brought to you by the Scotsman and the Data Driven Innovation Initiative, an innovation network helping organisations tackle challenges for industry and society by doing data right. The DDI initiative is delivered by the University of Edinburgh and Heriot Watt University for the Edinburgh and South East Scotland City Region deal supporting Edinburgh's ambition to become the data capital of Europe. Listen out for all the episodes in this series. You can find them by searching for data capital on all the main podcast platforms. And please give us your feedback. This episode of Data Capital was presented by me, David Lee, and it was produced by Mark Wilson.